Maybe don't know. Maybe don't. This time, 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 What's up, everybody? I'm your host, Chris Hampton. Welcome to episode 233, I think, of the Power Company podcast, brought to you by PowerCompanyClimbing.com. I'm losing count here. First off, before I do anything, thank you so much for listening and following along with that Hard Truth series that we just wrapped up recently. I got so much great feedback, so many more people came in and got the book and I'm I'm so excited to have been able to talk to the people that I talked to so thank you to them thank you to all of you for listening I am here in Lander Wyoming where summer is in full force so I'm in training mode in the gym getting ready for this coming fall and frankly it feels pretty damn good to be back in the gym and summer here also comes with the international climbers festival today's conversation is from the international climbers festival a couple of years ago uh, it's a training panel with steve bechtel charlie manganello both from Climbstrong and Elemental Climbing here in Lander with Neely Quinn and Matt Pincus from Training Beta. And like I said, this was this was recorded a couple of years ago. Um, so as they introduce themselves, Matt's role at Training Beta has changed a little bit, but otherwise I think everything else is on point. Speaking of the International Climbers Festival, it is quickly approaching July 15th to 18th this year. It's going to feel so nice to give back together with a bunch of like-minded people and celebrate this sport, this lifestyle that we're all involved in. I was just recently at the World Cups in Salt Lake City, and honestly, that was the biggest piece of it for me, was getting to see friends, getting to talk to friends, getting to hug friends. Man you don't realize how much something like that makes you feel until it's taken away and then you get to experience it again. So that's what I'm looking forward to with this year's Climbers Festival. There are tickets still available if you are excited, if you want to come out to Lander for a little while in July, hang out with a bunch of climbers, see films, speakers, all sorts of events happen every single year. Please, we would love to have you come out. This little town really waits for this festival all year long. So July 15th to 18th, you can still get tickets at climbersfestival.org. That link is also right there in your show notes, in your pocket supercomputers. One more Lander piece of business here. If you are coming to Lander for the Climbers Festival, or if you visited here in the past, if you visit here regularly, we are conducting an economic impact study, and we would love for both visiting and local climbers 
to fill out that study online. It's essentially to inform land managers, local business owners, and policymakers on the economic value of climbing in the area. That helps with funding and it supports climbing access. Let the people in the town know how much climbing actually means for our economy. So we would love for you to fill that out. You can find it at wyomingclimbers.org. Also, a link right there in the show notes in your pocket supercomputers as usual. All right, let's jump into this conversation with Steve, Charlie, Neely, and Matt and myself. Let's get into it. Okay, so I think the topic today we're going to talk about kind of where to get started in your training because there's so much information out there. It's really hard to kind of wade through it all and figure out what what to do exactly to get started. There's a million different training plans online, a million different ideas about how to get better. So we're going to talk about where you should start, what information you should be looking at, and what questions you should be asking yourself in the process. Um, before we go any further, let's have you guys all introduce yourselves. Um, let's start with Steve over here in his old man, little tiny this, rocking chair. This is the most comfortable chair on the on the tiny platform. Uh, so my name's Steve Bechtel. I, uh, I live here in Lander and I got interested in, in training for climbing r- really early on in my career because I felt like I really struggled to, uh, to, you know, all the pieces of it felt, felt challenging for me. And so I started like, how can I shortcut this stuff? And so I went to school, studied exercise science, and then, um, moved on into coaching and, you know, now I have a gym and all kinds of things like that and get to work with Alex and Charlie and, um, Emily and Ellen. It's a, it's a good setup for me. Um, and I have a website called climbstrong.com. My name is Neely Quinn, and um, I run a website called Training Beta, and over there we have a podcast that I host, and I have interviewed Steve a few times. Actually, I've interviewed everybody here, so that's kind of cool. And um, I'm also a nutritionist, so you guys can direct nutrition questions to me um, if you want. And um, I also work with Matt Pincus, and he will introduce himself soon. Hello, my name's Charlie Manganello. Uh, I moved to Lander seven years ago, just a New Englander that wanted to come out and climb. And uh, my first job in Lander was at the gym with Steve. And uh, I think I bugged him long enough um, to start to get trained. (laughs) And uh, I just wanted to get better. So I just hung around Steve when he was working out. Uh, And now I'm a coach for Climb Strong uh, in work at the gym uh, at Elements Performance Fitness here in Lander. And I head up a lot of the youth uh, programs here. And, uh, yeah, I'm, a maybe a, more of a strength coach more than anything. Uh, and also I've kind of been, uh, 
uh, pigeonholed into the multi-sport athlete because I used to do that. I haven't done that in a couple of years, uh, but I, I've got some ideas and I've, I've, I've put some plans to the test to try to peek for different uh, conflicting uh, sports uh, over the years. So, Charlie, how you. come you didn't end up as big as Steve if you were working out like him? Uh, different parents. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Matt? Uh, I'm Matt Pincus. I'm the other half of Training Beta. I'm our head trainer. I do the blog, so all the content you read on the Training Beta website is through me. And I work with uh, climbers one-on-one, mostly uh, remotely writing training programs for them to help them improve as well. And my name is Chris Hampton. I'll be the moderator today, and I'll be taking questions from you guys a little bit later on. I'm originally from Cincinnati, Ohio. I was a gymnastics coach there. I found climbing, became a climbing coach eventually. Now I live here in Lander, Wyoming, and do quite a bit of work with this whole crew here. Um, and I run powercompanyclimbing.com, which has training plans, a podcast, all sorts of other things. Uh, and like I said before, some of you guys just showed up, but the topic we're going to be really kind of trying to dig in today is how do you choose where to get started? How do you know what you should be focusing on when you're starting to train, when you're thinking about training, whether it's the first time you've ever trained or the beginning of your season, whatever it might be. Uh, Charlie, you said something interesting when we were talking a little bit beforehand about goals and that the goals should be the first thing you identify. So tell me a little bit about that. Yeah, um, I think in my experience working with athletes, um, we first want to start with like, why do you need this? Like, why do you need a coach? Why do you need this training? Um, and where, where are we going to land after we go through a couple months, a year, five-year kind of plan? And so is it hard sport climbing? Is it hard bouldering? Do you I've had athletes that just kind of figured out they just kind of like climbing and it's fun. It's a fun way to experience the outdoors and maybe training really isn't for them because they don't like doing it. And we don't want anyone to like, you know, go so deep that they're not going to want to climb anymore. But yeah, trying to find out exactly it is that, uh, what you want out of this training program. So maybe it's a, a hard bouldering project. What, what, what kind of features are on that boulder problem? Is it blocky granite? Is it, is it, is it some sandstone project? Um, because then we can kind of do some backwards planning and kind of figure out how to get you there uh, a lot faster instead of just kind of go through whatever training plan you find online and see what sticks. And then we, we also just have to find, uh, I think athletes have to be realistic with where their, their start is. Um, because if I were to do Adam Andra's like easy day, I wouldn't be able to finish it and it would totally suck and I'd hate climbing and I'd probably get hurt. Um, so we just kind of have to, we spend a lot of time, um, all of us do as we coach athletes, is just trying to start off slow, see where we, we are, get a baseline, and then, and then move from there. Um, and we usually we see some pretty good results that way. Yeah, I agree. And I'm glad you mentioned that you need to think about whether it's blocky granite or you know, crimpy, steep sport climbing, whatever it is, because training is really, really specific. Um, Steve, question for you. When, when you first look at an athlete, what are the things that you look for or try to measure or want to understand their capacity for when you're deciding how they should train? Yeah, it's, it's interesting because there are a lot of, there's, a, there's this idea that climbing is, is special and very specific and, and you don't need to do anything except that sport. But much more mature sports, 
like, you know, you name it, golf, pool, football, track sports, every one of them has figured out that they need to have a basic level of athleticism. And so when, when we look at somebody, I don't, I think that there, everybody's got a, a basic potential that they can climb when they're completely unfit. And if they have a general level of fitness, they're going to be able to push that basic level up. And so we, we start out with some really basic stuff like, can they hold a good plank? And we usually go for a minute, minute and a half. If you can't hold a basic plank, you, you know, that's like the world's easiest thing to fix. And it's so much easier than trying to debate whether you need to increase your hangboard training or um, your power endurance or any of this other crap that people try to try to spend their time on. Um, you know, if you if you move badly, um, it's probably partially because you're weak. And so we, we always start off with those, you know, basic abilities and strength and basic abilities to move. Um, you know, if a person can't bring their right leg above the level of their left knee, you know, maybe we have some, some mobility issues. If they can't get their arms straight overhead, mobility issues. And so those are a lot easier to fix than to... Uh, just spend more and more and more time conditioning in the climbing gym. So we'll start with like basic core thing, like a plank. Um, you know, can you do a pull up? You know, how many push ups can you do? Some basic squatting things. Um, can a person do a single leg squat? Um, and, and then you can, then you can start to, you, usually it doesn't take long before that athlete has some, some red flags and like it or not, that's where they need to start. Yeah, and I think if you're self-assessing, which a lot of climbers do, you really have to be honest with yourself about how was your form on this pull-up. You know, would it have met Climbers Fest opening party pull-up standards or not? You know, and, and same with the plank, same with the single leg squat. Um, Neely, as a nutritionist, when you're first talking to someone who wants to start training and really start pushing their limits, what are the first things you're looking for? Well, I'm just trying to get a baseline from them. And so whenever I work with people, I ask them to do a, at least a three-day food log. And I use an app called MyFitnessPal. And it's super easy. And I ask them, please don't change anything about your diet while you're logging. Because a lot of times people start logging and they're like, oh my God, what am I doing? And, and they'll start eating really differently. And so I just want to know honestly what they're eating. And then we go from there and we look at their how many carbs they're eating, how much fat, how much protein, how many calories, and when they're eating it. And then we try to make a plan from there. But mostly it's just knowing what am I eating now. Okay. If the people are, you know, filling out this MyFitnessPal for those three days, are there any things that you would suggest looking at as a red flag? Not necessarily just the standards, but is there a red flag they should watch out for? No. I don't want them to okay. look out for red flags at all. Like, well, okay, so if... if after I'm, the three days, let's if say. If I'm giving <laughs> advice to people doing this on their own, yes, there are plenty of red flags. So I generally, unless it's um, a really specific situation, I look at percentages of macronutrients. So generally I look at, um, or I like to see people eating around 40% carbs, around 25% protein, and around 35% fat. And so if their carbs are way high, which a lot of people's are, then we try to, and usually their protein is low, then we increase their protein and we cut down their, their carbs a little bit. And usually that's just a matter of taking out some extra sugar and some extra grains and putting in more meat or whey or dairy or something like that. So those are the big ones that you first look out for. Okay. Matt, as a, as a relatively new to the game trainer, 
Um, when you first talk with a client, what are the things you're hoping to see and if you don't see that you, you want to really talk to them about? Um, well, especially because I work with people mostly remotely. Yeah, same here. Um, I think the biggest thing I try to pull out of people is a goal. Um, and kind of like Charlie said, you want to start with a goal because it's going to inform what you're doing. And on an even simpler level, you know, we can talk, people get lost often in the like minutia of training and trying to peak and all this stuff. But if the goal is to send X boulder problem, X route to improve in this one style, then really the priority of the training program needs to be to address the things that are preventing you from doing that. So I, the number one thing I try to connect with people working remotely is what's the goal and like where are we at and then where are we trying to go? Okay. Yeah, I like that. I, you know, I've had clients who say, I really want to climb 513, but I don't give a damn about slab climbing. I don't want to be good at slab climbing. I don't want to learn to stand on my feet. I'm only going to climb in rifle and knee bar. So make me good at that. You know, and if that's what they really want and that's what they're hiring me for, that's what we do. You know? Yeah. I mean, I think along those same lines, I want, like personally, I want to try to improve my own climbing across the board and be well-rounded, but I don't, it's, it's also you, we all get to choose our own goals in climbing. So if you're really motivated in a certain style and want to prioritize that, and that's what you're going to be doing, then I think within reason, it's okay for your training to reflect that. Yeah, totally. So I'm going to take just a quick informal poll here. Are most of you guys out here either boulders or sport climbers? Let's have a show of hands for boulders. Sport climbers? Yeah, boulders. All right. Let's talk about sport climbers then. Let's, let's go there specifically. Charlie, when you first talk to a sport climber, what are the attributes of that climber that you're interested in? I ask them if they boulder. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Uh, no, Good seriously. Uh, uh, we were just talking about this uh, before we got started. Um, what's, what's, what's a crux? What, what do we call a crux on a sport route? A boulder problem, right? It's a boulder problem. We got a boulder. Strength first, then we can worry about endurance. Um, and so, you know, kind of jokingly, but also serious, um, we've got to see if that, um, that athlete that's got some sort of sport climbing goal, uh, it's usually, I mean, it seems like nine times out of 10, they can't do the move or they're not getting to that move with enough juice. And being able to be a little bit stronger, so we're talking about the hangboard, we're talking about maybe some limit level bouldering in the gym, focused limit level bouldering, not just these three hour mega sessions where you lob it holds for too long. Um, we, we, we try to focus their, their, uh, their training sessions a little bit more around strength. And if we need to build the endurance up a little bit, we can do that either in some route specific ways, um, either while they're out of the crag, gaining some fitness on that route or maybe a couple weeks before kind of a performance week um, maybe upping the volume a little bit but um, really truly it, it does come down to bouldering I know we all joke about it um, but it's really easy to see we've all had a friend who's like really into bouldering and super strong it doesn't take them that long to get up to where their sport climbing friends or exclusively sport climbing friends are already climbing because they have the strength um, strength is the foundation for for all climbing. Uh, and then we have all these other attributes that we can um, build up through other uh, workouts, uh, specifically before performance week. So Steve, let's say a boulder or a sport climber comes into your gym and they first talk to Charlie and Charlie's like, so do you boulder? And they're like, yeah. And Charlie's like, 
well, I don't know what to do now. Yeah. Refer to Steve's graph. You're Can good you to do go. Move? Let's, say, let's say they've been a good boulder. They come in to see you guys. What's next after the strength? And they want to, they want to perform at sport climbing? Correct. Um, I think the most important thing is to address their prejudices. And, and it, like you you referred to earlier, uh, you know, if you can climb 13A at rifle, but you can't climb 12A somewhere else, that's showing a sort of big uh, technique gap. And those techniques, even though they seem divergent, they're actually very, very useful to have. It's very good to have good footwork, good ability to crimp, even when you're in steep cave climbing. And so I think when somebody has a prejudice toward one particular type of climbing, like they only climb in the pipe dream cave, um, that's, that's a, it's an easy, easy fix. And that's the thing is we want to look at the low hanging fruit. People get really obsessed with these, like these, these last things or, or these marginal gains. Um, but you know, like the, the really basic stuff, like do your shoes fit, you know, um, are you carrying a bunch of bullshit on your harness when you're climbing? You know, all, all those sorts of things are much more important. What are your, what are your crag tactics? And so I would say, let's, let's look for that stuff first. Um, people, then, people then get into the interest of like, you know, okay, I want to start sport climbing. I want to start doing endurance routes. And then they, they start trying to simulate the feeling of being fatigued that they got on, on a route. And getting fatigued or feeling fatigued doesn't necessarily equate to the fastest path to endurance um, because we know that getting super fatigued in that middle middle zone of of endurance the power endurance zone requires a tremendous amount of recovery time and it's a short uh training cycle and so you can you'll go over the power endurance peak really quick and so i think that i think it's a mistake to do that and i think uh, a, a more intelligently designed uh bouldering or power uh, focused program is a good way to go even even when you're trying to to perform um, and and we can we can we can give anecdotes of this and that climber uh, but in general people that can boulder really really hard don't have a problem converting to hard sport climbing yeah and I think we see that really really often mm-hmm. I think bouldering first sport climbing next and then really good sport climbers don't often have a hard time transferring it over to track climbing either so so they're they're really not that different and bouldering comes first strength comes first I think we've established that Neely if if someone comes to you knowing that Steve would recommend for a sport climber to spend more time on strength and power is there any difference in the way you would help them with their nutrition or what you would have them eating between a boulder and a sport climber? Uh, there's not that much difference. We're all using, um, we're all, we all need carbs and we all need protein. And so it's not like we're, our, us, we as root climbers are just like these long distance runners who are mostly going on fat you know, so we do need really similar foods. So I'm going to have them eat. I mean, mostly I just want people eating balanced meals like three times a day and then a snack, usually somewhere in between. And I want them to have 
a good carb source, a good protein source, and a good fat source in every one of those meals. And that helps keep everybody's everybody's blood sugar really stable, and it helps keep our glycogen levels up so that we have the energy that we need when we are using our carbohydrate system. So it's pretty similar. And I've heard a lot of people online talk about boulders need more protein than sport climbers. Do you feel like that's a, a real thing or is it just in our minds? Yeah, I mean, if the sport climber is climbing like five eights and five nines or, you know, like they're not pushing themselves where they need to be super strong and use much power, then yeah, maybe for sure. It just depends on how, how hard they're trying, really. Okay, so you're saying Red River climbers don't need any protein? <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm not saying that at all. They, they I think can eat, they can eat possums and coons. <laughs> <laughs> I think we do, Steve. I resent that. <laughs> I think there's a lot of power endurance involved in the red, yeah, and so totally. yeah. I, I was gonna say uh, climbing with Neely and Steve. They're they're really good at like actually fueling themselves at the crag with real meals. Well, you've seen Neely's shoulders, right? <laughs> <laughs> That's exactly right. No, no. What it what it is is uh, like I would just make a PB and J and uh, like a I just have a couple bars just because it's what I thought I would need or that's just what you have like on a trail or whatever but like bringing up a tupperware like with a burger and sweet potatoes and like green beans it's like really easy to do it's not like you're hiking it miles and miles back like yeah if you're doing a big backpacking trip that's not really realistic but like actually having a real meal in between burns or like to kind of fuel you throughout the day um i think has made a huge difference in just my performance out of the crag and and they're really really good at that yeah well because you think about what you eat on a regular basis when you're going to the gym or whatever and it's definitely not bars all day it's real meals so i just try to have people simulate that out at the crag as much as they can yeah that's been really really important for me and i'm not very good at it um, but i can tell the difference for sure and i think that's a really important tactic for climbing well outside and matt i want to talk to you a little bit about tactics you spend a lot of time climbing outside um, probably more than all four of us combined, and I envy you for that. Um, but with your clients, are tactics something you see coming into play pretty often as opposed to just you should be lifting, you should be hangboarding, all of these things? Yeah, I think hugely so. Um, you know, we sort of established that it's strength first, but it's, I could almost argue that it's skill first. Um, like climbing is a skill sport, and... You can just see by, you know, just because you can do 50 pull-ups or, you know, deadlift 400 pounds, it doesn't mean that you're going to be sending 514 on the weekend. And so a lot of what I try to work with with people is, and it's sort of what Steve was touching on, um, is like finding those deficiencies in people's tactics because it's easier to fix those than it is to get stronger. And you're going to see, you're going to get out of your own way. Um, and sort of be able to use the strength that you already have um, more effectively. Yeah, and I'm sure every one of you have come across this. I've had several pretty experienced clients who don't utilize some really basic tactics uh, that could really take them over the top. And I've, I've seen, you know, we're all friends with Jonathan Segrist. I've watched him walk up to a crag, not even try the route without a stick clip, and just stick clip bolt to bolt to bolt and just identify where the holds are. He wasn't trying any moves. He wasn't trying to, he wasn't trying anything. He just wanted to know where the holds were for his next attempt. 
Um, and I think that's a, a pretty amazing tactic for one of the strongest sport climbers in America to be using. Yeah, I think um, Jonathan's a great example of somebody who's really got that red porting projecting process really dialed in. And I think that that's an area we can, most people can stand to improve. And even the first step that I try to work with a lot of people on there is even acknowledging that projecting a route is a process, that it's not every go from the ground is a, an attempt to send or even an attempt to do all the moves. Um, and that can take a mental shift for a lot of people, but wrapping your head around working through what it takes for you to do a route, um, I think can be hugely beneficial for helping improve people's, you know, if we're still talking mostly about sport climbing. Yeah. And just a question for you guys, and you can't name your own website. You can name mine though, but, but don't name your own. Um, <laughs> are there resources online where you would, or books or whatever, where you would suggest people go to look? Because there's so many resources and there are a lot of bad ones out there. We don't have to name the bad ones. Um, but if you know there are good ones other than Training Beta, Climb Strong, Power Company Climbing, where would you go? For, for climbing information? Climbing or strength training. <laughs> Tension climbing. Steve only goes to climb strong. Tension climbing is <laughs> no, a good one. I mean, one. I yeah. think we all agree, like nine out of ten climbers. Yeah, yeah. Dave McLeod's yeah. awesome. I know? think that's one of the best books out there. And I think yeah. that's like more tactic based, like mm -hmm. just kind of getting over your uh, kind of mental challenges of like not taking either your training seriously or I mean, I I, I try to read that book once every year, and I still like pick stuff from it. And yeah, same. It's uh, it's. I think it's a great resource. That's one that comes at the top of my top of my head. Yeah, and I'll I'll mention one. Um, I just recently found the Just Fly Performance Podcast, and I think it's it's one of the best sports performance podcasts out there. So if you guys are interested, you should check it out. And I have one. I'm reading this book called Roar by Stacy Sims, and it's all about how females are different than males um, physiologically as athletes and it tells us how to deal with that which i think is super important and overlooked steve you're the only one left here um gosh there's a bunch i mean strengthcoach.com is awesome L lots of information there um but i like uh chris summers stuff uh gymnastic bodies is good there's there's a, there's a lot of resources but i'll go into this and we talked about it last year um more information isn't always the key and, and, and almost always the climbers have more information than they have the ability to actually apply it. Absolutely. And, and so I think that like dancing between lots and lots of programs and trying this and whatever, um, r really hamstrings the effort. I, I got an email a couple of days ago about like, well, I, I'm trying one of your three day a week programs and I'm wondering what you would recommend if I was going to add a fourth day each week to training. And I'm just like, if I was going to recommend four days, I would have recommended four days. You know, don't don't overthink it. Do the program. I mean, there's a reason that Mike and Mark Anderson's book is the way it is. It's because it worked. And and when you try to modify it um, or try to add too many things in, like, oh yeah, I'm, I'm doing the Rock Prodigy program and I'm doing this program on top of it, right. um, then that's when people start to continue to stay the, at the same level. Yeah. Are there times when you think people should modify their plans? Sure. Yeah. If they have an injury, um, you know, if, if they have specific needs for their programs, but 
But really, it's like when, when you go, you know what, I'm going to take all the technique work out and just do campusing, you're, you, again, you're falling toward your prejudices. And that's, that's mostly what happens. And that's the biggest value of a coach is to look at you from the outside. And, and you know, they'll say, hey, wait a minute, how come you only climb in the pipe dream? Yeah, other than my ice cream habit, Neely, do you see people kind of fall to their prejudices in nutrition planning as well? Um, I mean, everybody has their favorite foods and there are some foods that people just won't give up sometimes. But yeah, I, I have to have a lot of conversations about like the fact that fat isn't bad for you. The fact that protein isn't bad for you, that meat isn't bad for you, you know, like things like that. And that they have to eat a, a lot of dairy in order to get enough calcium, things like that. So yeah, there are a lot of things that I have to talk to people about, but climbers are fortunately like really open to information and that's why i love working with them yeah and like steve mentioned maybe too much so you know all those things that that they're believing are partly because they've read it on reddit somewhere um and and maybe that's not always a good thing and that's why i asked for good sources of information that you guys like uh, instead of just looking for the next article in climbing magazine and switching up your plan to to fit that entirely well yeah, that'd fucking work Oh, sorry. <laughs> so I have another one, actually. Um, if we're going back to talking about tactics yeah, specifically, yeah. I think an amazing resource is um, more experienced climbers around you. Um, Good. In yeah. an area. Uh, it's, they've been through it. Like if you're, if you're climbing in the pipe dream cave and that's, you know, and there's somebody who's a multi-season veteran there, they've already gone through the learning curve. And the more you can borrow their knowledge the faster you can sort of improve your tactics for a given area. Yeah, that's a really good one. Um, go ahead, Charlie. I was just going to say, um, and, and we talk a lot about this, and Steve has, um, like just having a training log um, will tell you whether the planned work worked if you actually follow it through. And so I think a mistake we see with a lot of athletes is they're on something for seven days and they're like, didn't work. It's like you got to give it like the full at least four or five, six weeks, and then you can come and tell us that it didn't work or I need a new plan. Um, but if you don't finish something, you're definitely not going to know if it was good for you. And sometimes it's just as valuable to know whether something didn't work as, as it is to know when something did work. Um, and that's where the training log comes in because then you can look back and see, wow, like I climbed my hardest last fall. What the heck did I do the two, three months before that? And, you know, maybe you can repeat it, maybe you can't, but um, your money's on the stuff that already worked for you before instead of trying to go into the new shake weight plan. So, Shake weight. I'm going to release a power company climbing shake weight. It's a shake weight hangboard. <laughs> That's so a hangboard. <laughs> no, but to add, to add to that, Chris, uh, I think, you know, a really good indicator of – or a thing to keep in mind is that most climbers that have any kind of experience are probably within about 20% of their max strength already. You know, if you've been climbing for a long time, you're up there. And so you've got to look at these things that are really going to improve you. Like, you know, like going in and getting a little more serious about your hangboarding or whatever else might help. But, but the bigger chunks are going to be like tactics, technique, things like that. As, as Justin Shang says, climbing is all about controlling your ass. And, and, and if you can do that, everything else is going to fall into line. Um, I don't know how much time we have here, and I don't know what our time limit is supposed to be, um, but I definitely want to get to some questions from you guys. 
I do have one more thing I want to kind of talk through the panel with. Um, do you know what our time limit is, Steve? We, we have till seven. <laughs> yeah, till seven. We'll no, just keep going we, then. We, uh, it's 2.40. I don't know. What's the time now? 2.40. Okay, well, one more question for you guys, and we'll just No, no, it's like two, it is 2.40. That's not our time limit. Okay. I don't know what the limit is. Okay. Well, let's say someone has come in. They've talked about their goal. They understand what it is that they need to improve on. They've got the three-day-a-week plan, and they've stuck to it. Uh, rather than trying to add a bunch of new things in. Um, they're eating well. They're taking real food to the crag. When is the time to transfer from training to outside? I see a lot of people mess this up. Um, they're very worried about that transition as if there's like a moment where I'm like, okay, indoors over here. All right, time to be outside. So when does that happen? What do you guys recommend as the time to start going back outside like when it's sunny <laughs> I, I would say no i mean you shouldn't you shouldn't not climb outside if, if at all possible if you if you have access to it or you could you could climb like quote performance in the gym like if you have a big rock gym you would transfer from doing the parts of climbing into actually trying to perform go out there and i'm going to send this thing and at that point, then it becomes a tactical challenge where the athlete needs to, and this is, this is maybe the most critical component that a climber can put into their training at, going along with Charlie's logging is, am I proud of the effort that I just put in? And that goes pitch by pitch, set by set, um, move by move. Like you, I, this doesn't happen to me very much, but sometimes people get freaked out and they quit and they take a, take a hang, right? No, but at the end of that thing, it doesn't matter if you sent or hung or whatever. It's did you put in the effort that you're proud of and, and did you try your best? And that's, that's, you know, we've talked about it a ton, Chris, where that becomes the, the, the big factor. You can have people that are unbelievably strong, but they're, they have a 10 cent head and they give up. And, uh, and so that's going to be the, the major transition to being outside or being in a performance zone is when they can start doing more of that and not just thinking about, oh, I need to get this stronger and fix this part of my training. Yeah. And just to piggyback off what you said, um, that part of being proud of the effort you just put in, you also need an intention for that effort you're about to put in rather than just allowing yourself to say, oh, well, I didn't do what I wanted to do, but I'm still proud of it. Um, and then just making up your goal after the fact. I think it's really important to have an intention and being proud of how you tried to reach that intention. Yeah, and that, that goes right into Lanny Basham's gold medal efforts. Do you remember from uh, Winning, Winning Mindset? Was that what that book's called? Yep. Um, and he, he said, you know, did you put in an effort for a gold medal? If you lost um, or if you failed, it's not because of, of what you did. It's because somebody else better showed up, whatever. There are other factors, but... But getting to that point is, is really a critical step in climbers. And I, I see that happen with Charlie day after day after day. <laughs> That's true. That's why you're not as big as Steve, even though you train like I'm him. I'm trying. You were going to say something there, Charlie? Uh, I totally forgot. No, I think, uh, well, what I was going to say, I think it's a good question. Like some people might live in areas uh, where maybe you are in the gym, like if you live in Alaska and you have like four hours of daylight, you're probably in the gym most of the winter. Um, and so if, if you live in an area where you can continue to climb, um, 
then you should continue to climb. We see a lot of athletes who are like, oh, no, no, no. It's like a beautiful fall day. Nope, I'm, it's hangboard day today. I need to rest for my hangboard session and, 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 and skip the climbing day. That's, that's, that's your, your, you're way too deep on the other end, and you should be climbing that day. And you also have to be realistic with, with what's your, what's your, where are you in your, in your training? If it's the middle of the winter and you just wanted to do a, a big six-week six gym session where you're getting super strong for your future projects, that's great, but then you got to transition out of it. And I think uh, very often people are like, oh, I'm going to get ready in four weeks for my big performance goal like the stuff you do tomorrow, the stuff you do next week when you all go home and take all this amazing advice uh, is going to be valuable a year from now. It's not going to really even be valuable for your fall projects. So you've got to think like long term, just hopping on a hangboard like for a couple weeks isn't going to make you a better climber, but ho hopping on a hangboard once, twice a week for a year, you better believe you'll see some, some improvement. So you've got to really have that long term view in mind. It's not, none of this is a quick fix. I'm, I'm still looking for the silver bullet and I haven't, I haven't found it. Yeah, let me know when you do. Yeah. And just to piggyback off of your idea of if it's a really good day, you shouldn't skip it just for your hangboard session. If you live in the southeast, the summer is not the time to try and go and perform. So it, you're better off than staying in the gym where it's air conditioned and you can get strong instead of just losing skin. Unless you're someone who needs a lot of outdoor mileage. And then I think it is really important to go outside and, and climb through those conditions and learn to struggle through that. I think that's going to help make you a better climber far more than that little bit you're going to get from another hangborn session. Tactics. Tactics. Matt, your thoughts on this? Yeah, so I think um, it comes back to the idea of sort of how we started with having a goal. And to borrow from like Dan John here, the goal should be to keep the goal the goal. So that using that to inform when you are thinking you should be in a performance phase or when you're, you know, if that's, if it's like good conditions on your project, then you should go try your project. If it's, but like Charlie said, you should have already in the past had that long-term view and made the, the right choices planned accordingly to know my project's going to be great in October. I should, I should train hard in August and, you know, in the year leading up to that to, to be ready then. And then it's time to switch gears and to perform. And, you know, we're, we're, none of us are in this to get better at hangboarding. So, you know, it's a, it's a tool and it should just be treated as that. And then training is uh, the way to get you sort of to the point where you get to express your skill as a rock climber and give you this sort of window where you can accomplish something. And uh, when you then arrive at that window, it's time to let the other things go and focus on, you know, the reason you started training in the first place, which was to improve your climbing. Yeah, I have several friends uh, and clients who are really tied into training and they just want to train all the time. And, and I tell them that unless this project you want to send is your absolute final rock climb and you don't ever plan on climbing harder, then performance is training for those next higher grades and those next bigger sins. Um, so that way they can be okay with some performance time because they see it as a step in the process to getting better and better and better. Um, so I think that's really important. Uh, I'm going to take some questions from the audience. If you guys have any questions, uh, they can be about any topic. They don't have to be about this topic per se. Any, any of you out there have any questions for any of these folks? I'm going to bring you the mic. Uh, so I have a question about 
what we've been talking about with like prejudices and setting goals. If you're trying to get climbers to think about fixing the easy stuff, right, and not just adding more hangboarding, how do you get them to shift their goals so it's not just, you know, give me a hangboarding program so I can have like bulletproof fingers, instead make them think, you know, how can I fix my technique or how can I add a little bit more general strength conditioning to my routine? Um, yeah, well, that's, that's a self-identified weakness, right? You say my fingers aren't strong enough, so I want a fingerboard program. And I've run into that, especially with the remote training. You're giving this guys um, programs and they're getting very, very good. And they have, um, you know, they're putting up these huge numbers on, on the campus board and the hangboard. And, and you're like, going, man, this guy should be like, I should, this should be on a cover of a magazine. And then you realize that they don't, don't get much mileage or they have, you know, real bad technique, crappy shoes, whatever. And, and they, that self-identified, uh, training goal was, was incorrect. And so I think getting, getting into a assessment with either a coach or your friends, you know, the guys you're bouldering with in the gym and say like, you know, why are you guys able to send all this stuff? And I'm not, what am I doing wrong up there? You know, video is an awesome tool for that. Um, people, the people that like to watch themselves on video, like it for the wrong reasons. Um, but the but using video as an assessment tool is, is really, really useful. There's a guy that trained at our gym for a while. He videoed every set of every weight exercise he ever did and, and was really, really self-analytical. And so I think that whether it's, whether it's you as a friend or you as a coach, that's how you're going to get that person to, to get their mindset right. And some people, when you talk about goal setting, are setting their goals way too low. You know, like I've got, you know, people are like, well, you know, I'm thinking about trying a 13A this year. You know, I, I you know, I've climbed, you know, 20, 12 Cs and I'm thinking about working my way up there and I'm going to do a pyramid and they're, they're being very, very timid about it. And I'm like, well, why don't you try 14A? You know, like, let's, let's, let's like, seriously, like, the, you know, these, these grades aren't unachievable by the majority of people. And so I think that sometimes you got to be pushing them a little harder too. Yeah, I think to piggyback on that, when you talk about shifting goals, when you really talk to somebody, if you're honest, if you can get people to be honest with themselves about like, what do you really want to achieve in climbing? Like that's, nobody wants to achieve hanging a hundred pounds off of their harness on a crimp. Like that's a, that's like a process goal, but that's not something you want that because you want stronger fingers, not because that's the, the ultimate goal. And when you really sort of dig into it with people, you know, people have dream roots, dream boulders, they really want to climb. And if, and it, just getting people to be honest with themselves about that and then working backwards from there rather than starting from, I know I need to be stronger to achieve anything. So my goal is just to improve these metrics. Yeah. And, and the question you asked is a really good one. And as a coach, it's really difficult because you're the one paying us and you're the one wanting to see results. And when you tell me you want stronger fingers, I have to be very careful because then if I just said, that's not what you need, you're automatically turned off and you're, you're going to someone else. Um, and so, uh, I think as an athlete, if you are like, if you're getting to the point where you're starting to actually shell out some cash and, and get help coming with a little bit of an open mind, like don't, don't sacrifice what you want to get out of the program. Any good coach, if you guys call anyone, um, if they listen more than they talk, that's really important. Um, instead of this, them telling you what to do, um, you know, they might get to that point when you get a better relationship and you guys can kind of guys and gals can kind of riff back and forth. But, um, yeah, that's really challenging. And I, and so I think 
what Steve said and what we've all been talking about is like being able to kind of let go of what you think you need. And if you're at the point where you're asking a coach, maybe it's time to take some advice and, and maybe kind of back away from what you think you need. Because uh, coaches usually have seen it before um, and can kind of get you there a little bit quicker. It's a good, really good question. Yeah, and good answers, you guys. Anybody else have a question here? Some of us are uh, fortunate enough to be able to travel most of the time. So, for example, if I could currently climb 250 days a year outside, but I'm never by a gym, if I can help it, how would you go about adding in some training other than just like rotating between bouldering before trying to sport climb or on-site hard trad, stuff like that, try to mix things up? What would you guys do to like um, encourage us that can travel, are already doing a fairly good job, or at least seem to be about nutrition, um, trying to be somewhat tactical and not just eat cheap crap. Um, what do you recommend? Do you, do you mean like a, a supplemental training other than climbing? Get a, a flashboard and a couple kettlebells. That's it. And, and on top of that, be organized about it. Like that, you have to be super, super disciplined when, when it comes to traveling. We have people that have the best intentions when they take off even for a week long trip and they're like, they throw their hangboard in the, in the, in, you know, in their backpack and go, but, but how, you know, keep a training log, you know, say like, okay, two days a week, I'm going to do this. I'm going to progress it this way, you know, because, because training is, is progression. If you aren't tracking progression or attempting progression, you're just exercising. And so, but I think you can have a, a really good plan. There's a, there's a guy that's traveling nurse. He's got a, a gym in his, in his sprinter van, basically kettlebell two hangboards, you know, a bunch of elastic bands and it does really, really well with it. And, and, uh, I think we, there are good examples of that, but the flashboards, the flashboards is the place to start. Yeah. I, um, there's a blog post on training beta where these guys made an A-frame, like a tiny little, uh, was it a tripod that to put up their hangboard? You could also hang a TRX off of that thing. I mean, you could do a lot of things, but the other thing is, like Jonathan Segrist, to go back to him, he travels most of the year too, or a lot of the year, but he'll always take a couple six-week periods where he'll, he will be at a place where there's a gym so that he can train, so that he can stay strong, and that might be like an option for you. God, that Jonathan is so hot right now. <laughs> so that's essentially, I'm in the same boat. I get to travel pretty much full-time and can climb outside sort of wherever I want. Um, and the, what I, the way I approach that in terms of trying to add more structure into my training is, uh, not that I stop climbing outside during a training cycle, but that I'll switch the priority. So, you know, instead of always trying to send the next route that, you know, down, moving down the crag that you're psyched on, I'll set aside, you know, chunks of time in the year that, yeah, I'm still going to go outside and climb, but it's more important for me to, to like do the strength work, do the maintenance work and, and build for the next season. Yeah. And I think you can do that while you're climbing outside as well. If you just can't stomach going into the gym, you know? Um, and one thing I have a lot of my clients do is to really take a look at what it is that they're working the hardest outside. You know, if you're a red river climber and you're, or you're, you're in the red for a couple of months and your most of your time is spent getting pumped and your fingers are losing strength quickly, then a hangboard workout, you know, on your morning of your rest day or something might be a really good idea a couple times a week just to make sure your finger strength is staying up and not letting that attribute go away. And I think that, you know, if you're in Waco 
and you're planning to go to the red, then maybe towards the end of your trip you should do some volume days or something like that. Um, but just taking a look at what you're working the most while you're performing and then not trying to train that same thing all the time is important. I was just going to say, as, as well as getting organized and like giving yourself some time to actually start to get stronger or see some progression in whatever thing you want to get better at, is also being creative and like not letting conditions dictate whether you're going to work out or not. And so like, you know, you can't pack your flashboard or whatever and you're in some hotel room and you hang on the edge of a door frame for, you know, three sets of 10 seconds or whatever, at least something. And, 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 and not just being like, oh, well, I don't have all the stuff I usually have, so I'm not going to work out. So just being really committed to the, the process. All right, we got time for one more question if there's anybody out here. Anybody got a question? All right, thank you guys a ton for coming out. And big thanks to all of you for listening. Thanks to Steve, Charlie, Neely, and Matt for sitting down and doing this. We were in the park uh, during the trade fair at the Climbers Festival, which is a really great time. I hope to see many of you, most of you there this year. You can find tickets at climbersfestival.org. You can also get them at the link in the show notes in your pocket supercomputers. Also, if you're coming, please do us a favor. Take that economic impact study. One was done at the Red River Gorge several years ago. They've recently done a follow-up. This one's being conducted by the same person, and it was a massive help to how the Red River Gorge Climbers Coalition can have some leverage going into meetings with land managers and policymakers. So we would love to have you fill that out, please, and thank you. Again, link right there in your show notes, or you can find it at wyomingclimbers.org. If you're at the festival, I will be emceeing. Please come over, say hello. We'll also have a table at the trade fair. Lana will be handling that most of the time, but I'll be there on and off. We would love it if you would come and say hi. We'll have postcards in all of the swag bags for the festival that we'll mail out for free for you. We made them specifically for this event um, to send out to your friends and let them know that you're having a good time and that they should come next year. So hopefully I will see you there soon. In the meantime, you know where to find us, powercompanyclimbing.com. You can find us on the Instagrams, the Facebooks, the Pinterest, the YouTubes, many of the places at Power Company Climbing, but you cannot find us on the Twitter at Power Company Climbing because we don't tweet. We scream like eagles. This time, this time, this time, this time, This time the